I want to talk uh, about a few things. And last year, many of us would know that there's, there is currently a lot of talk around, you know, plastics and recyclables. And um, they banned the plastic bag last year from Coles and Woolies. And um, it was pretty devastating. And uh, it's, it's like seven or eight months and I still haven't got into the habit of like bringing bags with me. I even put bags in my car so they would be ready. And uh, check this bag out. Now this is what people are doing. Plastic bags are called vintage retro classic carrier bag. If you have that amount of money, please, it shouldn't be going towards a bag. As I said, Townsville, man, they need it. They need it. Please jump on that. Uh, so we've, we've been seeing all this, this sorts of stuff. I think it's really funny because it is, it's like they're becoming vintage and it's like in 20 or 30 years, if you find one of these things, you'll show your kids and you'll be like, Oh, look at this. And they'll be like, you're weird. As, as, as you do with your parents, whenever they pull something old out, you'll be like, man, that's weird. And Hannah and I went to a cafe, uh, recently that had stainless steel straws, Who's ever had those? They're trying to get rid of all the plastic straws. And, uh, and so they had these stainless steel straws and they were like the bendy straws, but they were like permanently bent. And so if you wanted a drink from above, you couldn't. You have to get down because it's on an angle so that you can get to the right angle to drink, this drink out of it. Hannah then reminded me I could also pick the drink up. But, you know, there's all this... There's, there's all this change about we've got to get renewable stuff, uh, got to make, make things uh, last longer. And it's because it's probably in a reaction to a generation that loves disposable things. We love being able to get something, make use of it, and then toss it away. I don't want to have to do the dishes. Uh, I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to do that. And, you know, it's not that long ago that disposable nappies were not the thing reusable nappies were the thing. And your parents washed your dirty nappies in the same washing machine that they washed the towel that you rubbed your face with. Yuck. And, uh, <laughs> it's disgusting, yes. <laughs> and we, but we moved to disposable and, um, and so many things, uh, I'm, some things I'm really glad that they're disposable and some things I'm like, are, are you serious? Laws came to our house the other day with this tea that she got from some store. Probably, I'm not going to mention it. I don't even remember who it is anyway. But it was, I was just like, oh man, like they gave you a water bottle because it was like this thick plastic. And, and now that I'm thinking this way, I'm like, man, why couldn't they just make that a little different? Because now you're just throwing away this thing uh, that is, you know, it's going to hurt the environment. But anyway, a lot of the times this attitude carries into other areas of life where our answer to brokenness is not repair. Our answer to brokenness is, I'm going to throw it out and get a new one. If I have a slow phone, uh, I don't really care about getting someone to fix this one. I'm going to use it as an excuse to get the latest and the greatest. I'm going to upgrade to the new model. I'm going to see if they can start my contract early again. If you get a rip in your pants, I'm not talking about these types of rips. What happened to the days where you used to take it around to Nan's and Nan would sew a patch in it? You know, Nan would repair it. But now we're at the point where it's just like, if something goes wrong, if I tear a hole, if I get a stain in it that I can't, you know, can't get out with one wash, uh, I'm just going to put it aside. I'm just going to buy a new one. You know, we just have this disposable men mentality. I was at Macca's once and um, they had this burger that they gave to me. And I was like, oh, 
um, I did ask for extra tomato. And they're like, sorry, we'll make it again. And they threw it in the bin. And I was like, you could have just gotten tomato and put it on that burger. But probably so many people have complained and they wanted a new burger that now there's this attitude of just, we'll just chuck it. And we'll just get you a new one. Need a new burger? We'll just get you a new burger. If your toast is burnt, some, pe- some people just chuck it out. Man, you can scrape the charcoal off that. It's a simple solution. You don't have to waste the bread. Like, just scrape the charcoal off. But sometimes our answer to brokenness isn't repair. It's that we want a new thing. And we do this with small things, but, and those are funny things, but sometimes we do it with serious things. We have a dispute with our friends, and it, things aren't working out. So we just ditch them, and we go and find new friends. We have an argument with our boss, and our solution isn't to repair the relationship with our boss. We just look for a new job. Sometimes if you have an impasse with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, you think to yourself, it would just be easier to break up. And we've seen so, so much relational breakdown because people aren't willing to put in the effort to repair. They just feel like, oh, just get a new one. And I know sometimes it's more complicated than that. Sometimes there's a lot more involved. But it seems to be a common trend that rather than put in some effort, we're just going to go for somewhere else, something else. We, we think the grass is greener somewhere else, whereas if we just watered the grass that we had under us, it would, it would grow and, and maybe even become heaps greener. And, and this, is a, this becomes a problem when we start applying this thinking to ourselves. You know, we ruin a relationship and then we consider ourselves dumb. We consider ourselves not relationship material. We fail an exam and we consider ourselves um, stupid. And we drop out of uni or out of an entire class just from failing one exam. We miss a shot on the sports field and we don't ever want to be put back in that spot again. We hurt somebody who's close to us and then we decide that, you know, we're not a trustworthy person. We lose a friend and then we think that we're going to be alone forever. We, we, we just apply this mentality to ourselves that if I stuff it up, man, that means I'm no good. We don't even think about the fact that, you know, God is the God of restoration. God's not just going to toss you in the bin, but God actually wants to help us out. We've all felt this before where, you know, we've really been trusting God for something, but we've still been knocked over. We've done all things right that we could possibly do. We've done it in the best way that we think we could, but we've still been pushed into the ground by others. And it can be so, so hard to get up again. Um, lobsters, in, uh, in their brain, they have a brain that's kind of similar to ours. I learned this in a book that I was reading recently. And basically what they do is if they have a patch of turf that they want, they'll fight another lobster for it. And so there can be this dominant lobster that's like fought all these other lobsters. Maybe he's like the 25-time reigning champion undefeated and there's like news crews doing stories on him and, you know, there's like everyone... It's, it's like everyone's liking his photos on Instagram, like this lobster is hot chop. And, um, but then if they have a failure, if they lose a fight with a lobster... It actually dissolves. There's this part of their brain that dissolves and then they take on this mentality of a loser. And even though they have beaten like 25 other lobsters, if if they are to bout up against them again, the probability is that they are going to lose. And the same thing happens with us. Even though sometimes 90% of our life can be going right, we lose 10% of it and then we feel like our whole life is a failure. 
But man, you've got to realize that failure, failure is just an event. Failure is not a person. And you've got to stop applying that mentality to your whole life when maybe it's only just affected some small amount. This sort of thinking ruins lives. This sort of thinking brings panic attacks. This sort of thinking brings anxiety. This sort of thinking can turn people down into depression. Your mistakes, they do not define you. Your failings, they don't have to set the pace for your life. You're falling short does not have to be a guide for the future. And so my message tonight is called Take Two. Take Two. And uh, I do a lot of filming and I love the fact that it's not all over if you mess up the first time. You can have a Take Two. And the people that I work with that I'm filming are so, so happy that they can have a Take Two as well. I filmed Pastor Chris for so many things before and we normally do... um, we normally do, the average take I figured out was that we normally take, we generally, no less than six and an average of 10 or 11 takes of what we do. Because it's like, man, I've got the opportunity to get this right. And it's not over the first time that it happens. So my message tonight is called Take Two, because sometimes we feel like it's all over. Whereas God is saying, hey, no, you can get up. You can have another go again. You can get up. You can do this again. It's like when you take photos, you're trying to take selfies and you get it wrong. You're just like, it's okay. I'll just delete it. I'll take a new one. I'll get another selfie. Take a hundred. Pick the best one. And that's what it's like in life. You, you kind of feel like, man, this thing, was, this, this thing is ruined. What I've done here is just, my, it's put my life into disrepair. But God's like, no, 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 you get to take two. You get another go. You get to pick yourself up and go again. Sometimes we count ourselves out at the point of failure. But that is when God is eagerly awaiting your response to his call to rise. And I want to look at the story of Saul and his amazing transformation. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Not a guy you want to be around. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. And the NIV version actually says, the New International Version version, the NIV actually says he was breathing murderous threats. And that's like... You know when your little brother like takes the last chocolate chip biscuit out of the cupboard? He's like breathing murderous threats. That's like you in that moment where it's just like, I'm going to kill you if I get my hands on you later. If you take that cookie again, you know, like that's just, it's just like, he's, he's just enraged. He hates these people. He hates God's followers. And he's like m- uttering these murderous threats out. And he hates these guys so, so much. And then verse 2, it says, He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he was to find there. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now that's smart, because he was breathing, breathing murderous threats, but he knew he couldn't murder them. But just like every smart kid, you, you can't kill your brother or sister, but you can dob on them. You can get them in trouble. If you can get them in trouble, get them out of the way, then your playtime in the afternoon is clear. And that's like what Saul's doing. He's like, he's like trying to get this, the best way around that he can just get the Christians out of the way. And he just hates God's people so, so much. But he undergoes a transformation. Verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, this light from heaven suddenly shone down on him. And he fell to the ground And he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. So this guy that he's completely against is now confronting him, Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus says, get up 
and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And so the men who are with Saul, they stood there. They're like speechless because they, they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. And so Saul picked himself up off the ground. And uh, when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Now, it kind of sucks. Um, don't know if you've ever blinked and then suddenly you were blind. It's not good. But anyway... That's what happened to him. And so he had to get his friends to lead him to Damascus. And then he stayed blind for three days and he didn't eat or drink. Uh, And then verse 10 says, There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And God spoke to him in a vision. And he was like, Ananias. And Ananias was a good boy. So he was like, yes, Lord. And God said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, there's going to be a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying for you right now. And I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, that's you by the way, coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. And verse 13, he's freaking out because he's heard of Paul's, uh, sorry, he's heard of Saul's reputation, that this guy hates Christians, that he wants to murder them, that he wants to put them in prison. And he's like, he, re- he replies and he says, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things that this man has done to all the believers in Jerusalem. And he's even authorized by the leading priest to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But then God says back to him, he, he's not having a bar of it. He's like, you know, you know, no, you just need to go because Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings. So even though Paul's done all this stuff, sorry, Saul has done all this stuff, God's like, no, 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 no matter what he's done, I've still chosen him. He still gets another chance. I'm taking him again. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias goes, he finds Saul, lays hands on him. And he says, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, he is a, who appeared to you on the road. He sent me so that you could regain your sight. And immediately scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up. He was baptized, so things are going well. His blindness is gone. He is, um, he's up from his bed. He's not laying around anymore. And it says, afterward, he ate some food, regained his strength, and Saul stayed with the believers. But then immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. And everyone who heard him was amazed. Isn't this the same guy who was like causing all this trouble and devastation amongst Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And like, didn't he come to arrest us? But now he's like preaching for Jesus. And it says in verse 22 that Saul's preaching became even more powerful. In fact, it became so powerful that the Jews that were there, the people who did believe in God, they couldn't refute his preaching. They couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was the Messiah. So Saul's gone under this huge transformation that he was this guy who was murdering Christians. And now he's like preaching way better than all of them. And it's like this amazing thing where it's like, would you have even guessed that Saul could do that? And sometimes I think about us, no matter how far away from God we feel, God can bring us to a place that no one would have ever expected. God can place, take us to a place where he turns our whole life around. No matter what we've done, no matter how far away we are from him, you might feel like there is no way that I could end up there. But this guy, he was killing Christians and then he was preaching better than all of them. And if God can do that for him, God can do that for you. And so my, a couple of thoughts, a couple of declarations that I think we should be able to make as people who are, God wants to restore, as people who's, who, who God wants to bring our lives into full fruition. God wants to take us from where we were and take us to a new place. These are declarations for all of us. The first declaration is that mistakes are not my definition. Mistakes are not my definition. It can be too easy sometimes to make a mistake and then have that mistake define your life. I'm a stuff up. 
I've done this, I've done that. And then that becomes a bit of your identity. You know, if, if you start thinking about, well, who am I? You start to think to yourself, well, I'm no good. I dropped out of school and I did nothing with my life. I did this, I did that. I, I stuffed it up in a relationship here. Uh, I've stuffed it up 600 times over there. And it becomes our identity. And, um, and, and it becomes like a definition of who we are. But the real declaration of someone who has been transformed is that, man, mistakes, they are not my definition. And I, a couple of years ago, decided that I would try my luck at drawing. And I'm no good at drawing. But I decided that, you know, I would, I would give it a go because I was drawing and I was writing this card and I had run out of words to say, you know, when you buy a card, it's like way too big. And you're like, um, what do I write? So I was like, I'm going to draw something. And, um, and, I, and I did this drawing and it was so, so terrible. Like it was horrendous, but I didn't have time to go get a new card. So I was like, this is going to have to do. But then when I decided this is going to be who I, who, what this card is going to be, this is going to be what this card is, I actually started to laugh at the card. And I was like, this is actually hilarious. And I gave it to the people and who it was intended for, and they just thought it was hilarious as well. So I started to do it again and again. Here's a picture of James and Georgia, um, two lovely people here at the church. And um, th- this is them in their natural state. And I found this picture of them and uh, they, at their wedding, they had this book where everyone was writing stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to do any sort of writing. I'm going to draw a picture. So who wants to see how bad my drawings are? This is my drawing of James and Georgia. And, um, and what was a mistake has now been the definition of all of my greeting cards, if I can. Here's one that I drew of my sister and her now husband. And I don't know how Jess suddenly looks like the grandmother in Milan, but that's just, that's just what happened. And now my whole family looks forwards to cards like this. And you know, you might look at that drawing and have a laugh, and I have a laugh, so it's okay. Um... I reckon when it came to Saul, the angels, all the people around probably had a pretty, you can take that off, probably had, probably had a pretty good laugh when they were looking at Saul's life. You know, I wonder if there was a conversation like, you know, Jesus came and died for everyone's sins and he's, he's, he's gone back to heaven now. So, so who's going to begin building the churches? And maybe the angels were throwing names forward and God was like, Hey, how about that guy named Saul, hey? Like, imagine if we used him. Like, imagine if I actually gave someone that drawing and said it was serious. Like, like I reckon there would have been laughter there. Like, are you serious? Like, this guy who has stuffed it up so bad, like, and he hasn't just stuffed it up, but he's chosen that that's going to be his identity and that he's going to begin raging against you for the rest of his life. And, and, and they probably looked at him and, and counted him out. But God was like, no, 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 no. What he's done in the past, that's not who he is. I've called him. I've chosen him. And you just watch what I'm going to do with this guy. And so God transforms Saul's life. He's like, you know, this guy who you think is way too gone. Well, guess what? I'm going to use him. And I wonder maybe if you've ever looked at your life, counted yourself out. Maybe you've screwed up your life so bad that it seems unredeemable. Maybe you've burned a friendship. Maybe you've never been able to hold down a job. 
Maybe you've never been able to make decent friends. Maybe you feel like you're so far from God that it's laughable. Well, don't laugh because God knows what's next. If God can use Saul, he can use you. Psalm 70 verse 20 to 21 says, You have allowed me to suffer much hardship, but you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. Man, if you are feeling like your life is just full of mistakes, start claiming this over your life. God, you will restore me to life again and you will lift me up from the depths of the earth. Verse 21, you will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. I love that in this story, verse 15, the Lord God, he answers Ananias when Ananias says, are you sure you want to go get this guy? God says, arise and go because I have chosen this man to be a special messenger. Ananias counted Saul out. But God pushed back and said, no, 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 I have a purpose for him. And I'm not letting it go just because you think that he's not worthy. And you might have some people in your life who are counting you out. You might have parents. You might have teachers who are saying you are no good. You might have people who are just constantly laughing at you because you never get it right. But don't let their voices cower you away because God is sitting there going, I have chosen you and I have a purpose for you. And just because you stuffed it up doesn't mean you can't attain this in the future. So no matter where you fall on the scale of life, know that God has chosen in you. Know that God has a future for you, that He wants to bring you into it once again. Man, don't let your life be defined by your mistakes, but let your life be defined by the future that God has for you. Do you know that you're chosen for something? Each of us has a God-given purpose, so don't count yourself out because there's always another take in life. Just because you didn't have a good take, man, you can get it again. You can have another go and another go and another go. In the eyes of others, you might have failed, but determined to say, you know what? I'm down, but I'm not done. I'm lost, but it ain't over. Don't ever say that this is past the point of no return. And determined to say, no matter how many times you fall over, it's not over. Get ready to say, it's not over. I may have fallen, but it's not over. Number one, mistakes are not my definition. Make that a claim for your life. Number two, a claim that we need to make over our life is that readiness is my state. Readiness is my state. This should be the confession of every person who wants to see change in life. If you've stuffed it up really badly and, and you've just really connected with that last thought of, man, I, I just really want to walk in what God has for me, well, then this needs to be your next step, that you sit there and you go, you know what? Readiness is going to be my state of mind. Because why would God give something to you if you're not ready to take it on? Why would someone on a football team pass you the ball if you're sitting looking over here at something else? You've got to be ready. You've got to be in position, ready to take that perfect ball so that you can run the touchdown, run the whatever it is, whatever game that you play. I remember when I... Uh, when I got glandular fever, I had to go and sit in a doctor's office and I had to wait for three hours. I I, I went in and I I put my name down and gave them my Medicare details and... um, I'm really stubborn, so I didn't go to the doctor till I was really bad. And so I had to sit in this doctor's office and I was like ruined and just sitting there, just hating life sitting there. But I had to wait for three hours and there was all these people who came in, put their names down and, and they would wait 10, 20 minutes and then they would leave. And the doctors would come out and the doctors would be ready to take them. The doctors would be ready to diagnose them, ready to help them. But these people, they just weren't even there. These people were getting missed because they weren't ready. And sometimes we hate waiting. We hate sitting around and waiting. But sometimes we have to wait. See, Saul's life, it was interrupted. He was murdering Christians. And he was told to stop. 
And then he wasn't even given his next instructions. Jesus interrupts his life. The bright light shines on him. And then verse 6 says, Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And I wonder what it must have been like for him, that waiting period. Because he, would have, he, he was blind, so he would have been hearing other people carrying on with their life. And he must have been sitting there going, what am I supposed to do? But Jesus said, you will get instructions when the time comes. But he just had to sit there and wait it out. I wonder if he sat there and, and started to think about all the other people whose lives were doing well and how, and how he had to sit there blind. And sometimes life goes wrong for us. And sometimes we have stuff that is less than pleasurable happen. And we expect it to all go back to fine and dandy the very next day. But sometimes, actually, we need to sit and wait. And sometimes we don't even know when our next uh, set of instructions from God is going to come. But it is in the waiting that, it is, that our character is built. It is in the waiting that um, God prepares us. So don't sit and look at other people. Every time I go to Macca's and they give me a number and I'm like 159 and then I'm, I'm like looking at other people. I'm like, what docket do they have? Like, are they going to go before me or is it going to be me next? And then I've got 159 and then someone who has like 2,360 gets served before me and I'm like, what is going on? Where is my meal? And like sometimes we can get so annoyed because we're sitting there waiting and sometimes we have to wait longer than other people. Sometimes we feel like, no, but, 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 but I want to get in and I want to I go do this. And, but we just have to sit, wait, be ready. Just like people in the doctor's office, man, if you're not there when the doctor comes, you're going to miss that opportunity. But you've got to be willing and ready to sit there and go, you know what? Readiness is my state. I am ready. I am waiting for my opportunity because it's going to come. And I don't want to be found laying down on my bed, lazing around or comparing myself to other people. I don't want to have left the building because I felt like other people had it better than me, but I'm going to be waiting because God has my number. Stop looking at other people. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Too often we look at who other people are today, but really the true measure of progress is based off of who we were yesterday. Man, you you might have been a failure yesterday, but if God has restored you and at least let you recognize that failure and you're ready to go again, you're, you're, you're picking yourself up, man, you might be down in the valley, but you're better than you were yesterday. And if you compare yourself to someone who's at the prime, at, in their prime time, if you compare yourself to someone else who's absolutely killing it, then you're just going to have nothing but discouragement. You've got to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. And so Paul, Saul, sorry, I keep saying that because later he gets his name turns into Paul. Saul, he's sitting there and he's waiting. But he didn't just sit, sit around. He was actually praying. He was preparing himself. And you might have been knocked down in life. Are you going to sit around and mope about it? Or are you going to get up and get ready? Because take two is coming. And it is time for you to get up. Don't let God call your name and you not be ready. If you're in a season of waiting... Don't just laze around. Dig into God. So the question you've got to answer is, are you prepared to stay in that zone? Are you willing to wait for God to work on you while you're waiting? I love the Hillsong United song, Seasons. It talks about this period of waiting, knowing that God is working in the background, knowing that, uh, you know, it, this line in there that I love says, God, if you're not done working, then I'm not done waiting. Sometimes it feels like we're just sitting and waiting, but God is actually working on the inside of us. And you've got to have that cry that, you know what, I might not be exactly where I want to be, but if I have to sit and wait 
while God works on me, then I'm going to be okay. Another line in that song says, talking about um, God saving humanity, it says, you could have saved us in a second, but instead you sent a child. And God sees the proper time and place for everything. And He knows ex- the exact timing that we need. And He always sets it in order. And maybe we sit there and think, God, you could do this in an instant. You could do this in a moment. But God, He's always going to do it in His perfect timing. So if you've been knocked down in life and you're wondering why, man, it's taking a bit of time to get the pieces together. Don't be discouraged because God is rebuilding your life. And just choose to say, well, I'm not going to give up on God. I'm going to be ready for whatever He has next. Readiness is my state. And lastly, conqueror is my identity. I love the Xbox motto, which is jump in. It's like, man, you look like I'm ready to jump in and conquer. I love watching, uh, well, I don't actually, but it's just funny. When watching horses, when they like have a horse race, the gates open and they are just so ready. They just jump out straight away and they just charge forward. When their time comes, they go for it. Acts 9 verse 20, when Saul, when Ananias came and prayed for Saul, he, he, he just went full charge. He got baptized. He ate some food. Verse 20 says, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is indeed the son of God. So Saul, he didn't even wait. He didn't hold on to who he was yesterday. He jumped into his new identity. Conqueror is my identity. And you know, some of us are holding on to a victim mentality that's not going to benefit our future. Sitting there saying, well, I've been hurt. I'm not going to get over this. And I'm handicapped because of this. And some hurts, yes, they take a while to get over. But sometimes subconsciously, we like hold on to those identities. We hold on to a victim mentality because it gives us an excuse for not jumping into all that God has for us. It gives us an excuse to not jump into God's glorious future. But God's calling goes hand in hand with a new identity from Him. And so we can't hold on to who we were. We have to jump into our new identity of conqueror. We have to be prepared to let go of our past. I'm sure that Saul, if he held on to this identity of, no, 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 I'm a guy who kills Christians. I'm a guy who's against God. There is no way that he would have began preaching and becoming one of the most powerful preachers of his time. He had to leave that identity behind. And you might have been knocked down in life. You might have had the worst things happen to you. But man, don't make it your identity. Don't live out of a victim mentality. And it's so easy. And you are probably within your rights to to have that victim mentality. You are probably well within your rights to say, you know what, I've been hurt and I deserve better. But as soon as you have a pity party for yourself, as soon as you say to yourself, well, because of this happened, I deserve different treatment. But God is actually saying, no, 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 don't hold on to that identity because it's not going to get you anywhere. It's actually going to shrink your life. And, and again, if, if you have something that's hurt you and, and it's ruined you, absolutely crushed your life, I'm not saying, I, I'm not like against you for not letting that go if, if, you've, like, if you're still dealing with that because we all need to deal with stuff in our lives. And stuff does take time, like I said. But if you hold on to that mentality for the rest of your life, you're not going to find yourself in that place where God wants you to be. You're not going to complete your transformation. You're going to go, you're going to just make it halfway and you're going to be stuck blind the rest of your life. But Saul, he had, he obviously, it's not, it's not written plainly in the text, but it's obvious that he was very ready to let go of his old identity and take on a new identity. He was ready for when the time came so that he could just jump straight in. And so for all of us, as we go out into this week, 
I don't know. I, I don't know what ha- has happened in your life. For me, I, I've had a bunch of stuff happen and, um, and I share about it from time to time, but it's not like defining my everyday. Like the stuff that's happened to me, uh, it, I, I'm not letting it guide who I am today. I'm letting God guide me. And, and it, it took a long time to move from thinking about who I am and, and what other people have called me and, and, and what this mean, what these situations mean for my life, things that happened. And I thought, man, that means that I'm this and that means that I'm this. And it took me a long time to stop thinking about that and start thinking about who, who God has made me to be. But, but man, if you can grasp that, if you can jump into that, if you can grab that and say, you know, I'm not that. I'm this. I'm a conqueror. I'm not defined by my mistakes, but I'm a conqueror. I'm not going to let my past values begin to provide goalposts for the futures, for the future. But I'm going to say, where does God want me to go? And I'm going to run straight towards that. Man, that is what God has for us. And if not Saul, I'm sure that you can take comfort in thinking about the thief on the cross who presumably has spent his whole life doing terrible things to find himself on the on the cross in a crucifixion and he's right next to Jesus and he asks Jesus if that day if he would forgive him and if he would be found in paradise that day and Jesus says this day you will be found in paradise and, and and even in his last moments even when there wasn't much of his race left to run God was still able to take him where he was love him as he found him and say you know what that's enough for me a heart that is willing to change is enough for me. And so for you, man, I don't know where you find yourself, but all that it's going to take is for you to say, you know what? I do not want to live in my failures anymore. Anymore, Even though I've stuffed it up a thousand times and maybe I'm going to stuff it up again tomorrow because I don't know any other way to do it. If you can just choose, man, I'm just going to keep reaching out to God every single time. Take two, take three, take four, however many takes that it takes. It's probably why it's called a take. Man, God is waiting for you to step out of the gate. God is waiting for you to leave that old identity behind and step into the identity that He had given you at your birth. So I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to finish up. So I want you to just think about where you're at. I don't know what part of the message maybe you vibed with. But whatever it is, bring that to mind right now and start to think about how your tomorrow might be different. God, I thank you for every single person here. I thank you that you look at us and you don't see us for all the mistakes that we've made. But your grace covers it all and says, you know what? I've still chosen you. I still have a purpose for you. And I thank you that all of us can begin walking in that purpose, even starting tonight, even starting this week. And I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to move past our hurts, to move past our failures, even though they feel like they're world crushing, even though they feel like they are life defining. Help us to begin to move forward, even starting tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, and I don't want to pray for you, some specific people as well. Maybe this is your first time in church. Maybe you've heard about God, but you didn't realize that He was actually interested in your life doing well. Well, like I said, as soon as I started following God, as soon as I started chasing after Him and trying to do things His way, I realized that my life actually began to get better. 
Every part of my life where there's strife and pain and mistakes and, and, and fear, I, I can clearly see that it's because of wrong things that I've thought, said and done. The Bible talks about it like it's called sin, but man, when I see that, I just see pain. But when I see life with God, I, I just see it life on a whole new level. And that's actually how God wanted us to do life, to live with Him, to not be bound by our mistakes, to not be held back and crushed by them, but to be living in this new life with Him. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for us, so that He could He could pay the price for all that, so that all of that weight can just be put on His shoulders and we could live free. And so tonight, man, you can begin walking in that even tonight. You can begin living this free life, this light life, where you're not held back by your sin, you're not held back by mistakes of the past, but you live in freedom. And I think that's the best life that you can live. And so I want to pray for anyone here who says that that's me. They don't want to live by that, but they want to, they want to live in this new freedom that God has for us. So can we just close our eyes? Um, I, I just want to give a moment of privacy for everyone. Because this really is a moment between you and God. Not between you and me, but, or, or between anyone else, but between you and God, where you're saying to God, hey, this is what I want. I want to start to follow you, God. I want to put my faith and my trust in you. When I say faith, I just mean that you believe that He actually does have that plan for your life, that you believe that He, he can change and turn your life around. And when I say trust, I just mean that you actually are willing to pass over control, that you're willing to let Him make some of the decisions, that you're willing to let Him guide you. That's all it takes, having a bit of faith and having a bit of trust in Him. And so tonight, if that's you, man, I really want to pray for you. And uh, so with every eye closed, just for this moment of privacy, can you just pop your hand up right now? Just wherever you are. Yep, awesome, over there. One, that's great. Is there anyone else? I want to pray for you to live in that new life. That's, that's great. Two, three, awesome. Anyone else here? put your faith and trust in God. Man, you're going to turn your life around. Three people already. That's awesome. So good. Anyone else? Just shoot your hand up right now. Great. Four. That's awesome. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anyone else? Cool. Well, God, thank you so much for these people that have just put their hands up. And even the people who are saying it in their heart, maybe haven't put their hand up. I pray for all of them, God, that you would really, really help them to live that new life that you have for them. That you would help them to discover you this week. That you'll be with them, showing them the right way to live, helping them through whatever's going on in their life, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together. And we're going to pray it all together and out loud. And this prayer is simply uh, a way to put into words what you might have just been feeling in your heart. And uh, we're just going to all pray it together. So let's pray right now. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen.